You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back, Libby. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. Do you want to read the question for today in this anatomy series about common diagnoses and conditions that might show up in yoga classes? Yes. So the question today comes from a student inside Anatomy Bites, and she says, Libby, I have a student that tells me that years ago they tore their labrum in their hip. They mention it often in balance postures. Long term, what, if any, limitations should this present for them? So let's start with what is the labrum? Okay, the labrum is a ring of cartilage that surrounds the acetabulum, which is the hip socket where the head of the femur sits. And the shoulder has one as well around the glenoid fossa. And it's basically just a thick piece of cartilage. It's a ring that serves to deepen the cup. And it basically adds stability. It's just another... You know, it's cartilage, it's collagenous connective tissue stuff that's super sturdy and um, serves to offer some passive stability support. So the head of the femur and the surface of the acetabulum, those are both covered in hyaline cartilage. That, and so the cartilage rubs against the cartilage when you move your hip around. And then the labrum is more of a ring around the outside of that hip socket. It's almost, think of it as like an extension, almost like a telescopic extension off of the acetabulum. Okay. And that does provide more stability there. So sometimes the labrum tears. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific part of the labrum that is more likely to tear? Uh, Yes. Um, Well, either in the front part or the back part or the sort of front top, commonly where the tear is. And there's another condition that may be associated with a labral tear, which is called femoroacetabular impingement. And that may be a term people hear, which just means between the femur and the acetabulum, the labrum gets pinched. And so over time, that could lead to a labral tear. And it's very hard to figure out if someone has a hip labral tear. That's, it's really hard to diagnose. Okay, so this is not something that you could do imaging of and see. You could, but the accuracy is not awesome. It's not horrible, but it's not awesome. The gold standard for diagnosing a hip labral tear is arthroscopic surgery, like literally putting in a camera and looking at your labrum. That's the gold standard. So short of that, we have an MRI or MRA uh, magnetic resonance arthrogram. Um, and don't ask me to explain the difference between all that. I don't know the difference. I just know there are slightly different versions of using you know, MRI technology. And the diagnostic accuracy, you know, there's a risk for false positives and a risk for false negatives. Now, I'd have to dig through the research to find out, you know, what is the percentage of false positive or false negative? You know, it's not as great accuracy as I would like. If I were going to rely on that to diagnose the labral tear. However, 
The other piece that's important to know is that a lot of people have asymptomatic labral tears. So even if we did get down to a clear diagnosis of labral tear, I don't know in a lot of cases how useful it is to know that given what we know about the prevalence of labral tears that are asymptomatic. So this should remind listeners if they listen to the our first of the three episodes when we talked about disc abnormalities and imaging around that, we have a similar situation here where a lot of people walking around in the world with a torn up labrum in their hip and they'll never know it. So if a labral tear is symptomatic, what would the symptoms be? It's often end range movements, especially with flexion, abduction, and external rotation. So the type of position you would get into with your front leg in a pigeon pose, for example, that is flexed, externally rotated, and a little bit abducted. Another place where it often shows up is the front leg in triangle pose. And if you think about it, it's again, we're flexed, we're abducted, and we're externally rotated. And that's often when the impingement on the labrum is going to occur. So it's often, it's kind of a sharp pain, just described as a really sharp pain. Sometimes it's a a C-shaped pain all around, almost like circling the greater trochanter of the femur. So that's a common presentation of, of symptoms there with the labral tear. I basically like to say, you know, if I'm treating someone clinically and I suspect there might be a labral tear or there's signs of femoroacetabular impingement, that's pretty much what I'll say is that, you know, this is consistent with a possible labral tear. And that's oftentimes as as accurate as we're going to get, right, unless we really stick a camera in there. So what do doctors do? if they suspect a labral tear, or what do physical therapists do? Yeah, so oftentimes, if a doctor either sees a labral tear on MRI or suspects one, they'll send the patient to PT, oftentimes, for stability, hip stability training, and that's going to be the name of the game. When we have a torn labrum, we're going to have decreased stability. There may be some muscular discomfort around the area, some chronic contraction, some pain that can be treated well, of course. But if that doesn't go well, you know, the they don't resolve that way, there is a surgery to repair the labrum. Now, the problem with that is the outcomes aren't awesome. So here again, it's like, eh, yes, we have this surgical option, but if it were me considering the surgery, I sure would like the outcomes to be better before I sign up for it, you know? And certainly for some people, it works great. They do great. But um, for many, they don't. And of course, in my situation, I only see the ones for whom it doesn't go well. Because <laughs> I've seen a handful of people, you know, with labral tear repairs that, you know, their hip isn't any better, their pain isn't any better. And that's a bummer. Like we want to try to avoid that if at all possible, because surgery is a big deal. What causes hip labral tears? That is a great question. Here's my thoughts about it. Here are my thoughts about it. Femoroacetabular impingement, impingement of the labrum over time is likely to, you know, lead to some degradation perhaps of the labral labrum. And I also 
I wonder if the presence of a hypermobility syndrome also predisposes one to a labral tear. In fact, you know, when I see people with a suspected labral tear, I think 100% of those people have been bendy people, you know, over the years. They're hypermobile people. And what we know about hypermobility is that the integrity of their connective tissue is less robust. So the collagen fibers that make up tissues, including labrums, they're not as taut, not as sturdy. So that could be a factor. Is there anything other than hypermobility and the connective tissue structure that causes impingement? Sometimes just a structural sort of anomalies, you know, that the way that your specific femur connects with your specific acetabulum, the shape of your acetabulum, angle, the tabulum is pointing in, all those things may contribute to what happens with your labrum when you move around. Um, so that's all going to play a role in that. But in my mind, you know, I don't know of any specific, you know, risk factors other than being bendy. That's really what comes up in my mind for obvious reasons, but also, you know, really hanging out in those end range positions where uh, a lot of people, they'll be just cranking on that pigeon pose or whatever. And they're really feeling some intense stuff deep in the joint. That is perhaps not a great place to hang out especially for people who have hip pain, you know, I mean, kind of backing off of that. And I know what that's like because I, I strongly suspect that I have a hip labral tear because there's a, a weird kind of different sensation that's deep in the hip that is different from a stretching sensation, you know, that would be more typical. And I have learned over the years to notice that as different and to not hang out there. And my hip feels way better when I don't. So, you know, I had a lot of hip pain for a lot of years and I pretty much don't deal with a lot of hip pain anymore. And I attribute that a lot to strength training and my hips are stronger. But I also think backing away from some of those big stretchy end range yoga postures really helps too. So this is a condition where a lot of intense yoga practice could be a risk factor. Yeah. yeah. I, for several years, was experiencing anterior hip pain in a deep squat. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing that I think resolved it is I believed that I was artificially trying to match my squat stance to what is comfortable for most people, which is more externally rotated and wider stance. And when I allowed myself to go back to what feels more natural to me, which is a narrower and more straight ahead squat stance, it disappeared over time. And so finally, I think we've talked about this. I think I've mentioned this to you before and I threatened to come see you and have you help me with it, but I am finally squatting again without pain and it finally feels strong and it finally feels good. And that was the big shift where I was like, I am done squatting in the way that other people tell me is supposed to feel better. And I'm just going to squat in the way that actually feels natural to me. Cool. That's awesome. That's such a great example. And, And I'm so glad it feels better too. 
It's a great example of you came out of external rotation a little bit. You came out of so much abduction. So when you were getting to the bottom of your squat, you were basically, you know, approaching that pigeon-ish shape in your hip and you're feeling that sharp, the sharp pinchy feeling, right? And, and some of that may be your particular structural reality. How do your bones meet up with each other? And, and so good for you. You made that modification and it feels better. And that's, that's what we want. So we want to hold on to our idea of correct shapes. We want to hold on to them very loosely in lives and in yoga and let the body kind of figure out what's, what's the best way for that body to land in that shape and make little tweaks here and there for comfort. I think that's appropriate. Let's return to the original question about the student who mentions their previous torn labrum frequently in standing posture, standing balance postures. I can't quite remember which one that was. Postures, yes. Balance postures is where the student mentions it frequently. So it sounds like this yoga student is has some concerns about it, right? It's on, it's on their mind a lot. And they've got a, a real hip identity. You know, they're identified with this labral tear from years ago. And I might ask them, Hey, how was that labral tear diagnosed years ago? Do you have an MRI? What, you know, what was the deal? Did you have it treated and all that kind of stuff? But, um, basically this, the balance postures, anything that helps improve the strength of the muscles around the hip is positive, but let's modify it for comfort because it doesn't feel good for the hip. That's what we know. When the student mentions, mentions this in class, we know their hip is uncomfortable. We don't need to freak out about it. That's not any cause for alarm. It's simply, okay, that's not really what we're going for. How about we try something different? How does that feel? You know, so again, there's really no cause for the yoga teacher to be sweating about this, to be really nervous about this or, or anything like that. Let's just take the clues, take the cues rather from the body and follow those. Um, and hopefully as this person gets stronger, They'll be able to tolerate balance poses without any pain. There's no reason that a labral tear specifically should cause pain in balance poses. I'll just put it that way. That's not necessarily what I would expect, you know. So their pain in balance poses may or may not have anything to do with a labral tear. We just, it's not knowable, honestly. But what is knowable is what is their experience in the moment and let's respond to it. And if the pain or the sensation that is making them nervous is not in a neutral position for that hip. If it does happen to be in flexion, abduction, or external rotation, then those are some good clues of ways that you could back off the range of motion in those three places. Yeah. And I would recommend if you are able to guide them a little bit more one-on-one, maybe in a private session, or you just have a small class that it lends itself to individual attention one at a time to see if you can pinpoint is one of these movements related to the discomfort that they're feeling. Yeah, that's a great idea. And this, this student who I'm envisioning this student in tree pose having some hip pain. One of the things that can contribute to femoral acetabular impingement is when the femoral head wobbles a bit more forward 
inside the acetabulum than it would otherwise like to do. So it may be, well, let's take your squat for an example. Let's say you were squatting and you're feeling the pinching. And I remember actually in one of our conversations about this hip, I was recommending some posterior mobilization for your hip. Do you remember that? I was, I wish that I could grab it and just push your femoral head back. And if you had come to see me, that's what we probably would have done to see if it gave you a little bit more space in the anterior hip when you squat. And so if we can get the femoral head back, you know, if indeed it is forward a bit more than it would like, we can get it to anchor back, then we'll be able to drop into that deeper flexion with less discomfort and less pinching. So that sometimes is a factor. And let's say this student that this question is describing, let's say their femoral head's a bit anterior, hanging out toward the front of the acetabulum and just is kind of, it's irritated, let's say. Well, maybe they could shift a little bit how they're standing even, brings some awareness to that hip and how their pelvis is situated. So they might even be able to find a more comfortable way of standing in the tree pose. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And in fact, if you start looking at your students and paying attention to the patterns of how your students are approaching their standing balance pose, one of the, one of the patterns that you will see is this shifting of weight to effortless involves the head of the femur moving forward. And so it would not be a harmful thing to cue your entire class to help them learn how to center the head of their femur in their acetabulum in your standing balance poses. That's probably going to be good for just about everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's a subtle little awareness to build, but it's, it's worth practicing. It may not happen overnight. You know, it may not click that first day, but let's start talking about the way that we're changing our kind of pelvic position, hip position when we shift into those balance poses. Because we may just have like a postural habit that predisposes our femoral pins to wobble forward. And now we're just at a little bit more risk getting some pinching. So I think it's worth working on that. Absolutely. Exactly. And in fact, in my own asana practice, when I am doing standing balance postures, that's a big focus for me. That's something that I'm actively paying attention to, bringing awareness to, because it is such a common habit for all of us. And so even as a yoga teacher listening to this, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Maybe this is like super familiar to you, right? But maybe this is the first time you've heard of this. Maybe your teachers did not talk about the position of the femur and how to center it in the joint, start paying attention in your own practice because that's that's really the place to start. Yeah. And can you describe, you know, when you're in your Austin practice, how do you, what do you do specifically to try and center your femoral head in the acetabulum? Is it like a, a tilt of the pelvis? Is it like, what do you, what are you thinking of when you do that? Okay. The first thing I'm just trying to do is, is not do something, which is I'm trying to not rust my pelvis forward. <laughs> the first thing is just, can I find a place where it feels like my weight stacks? Mm -hmm. It's basically to and finding a stacking of my joints over each other. 
And yeah. so then there's a sense of softening in the area of the groin. Yeah. And the way that I learned it was imagining and drawing the head of the fever bone back in space until it feels like it's centered. Great. So this is such a great thing. You've just given people, you know, an, an actual thing to practice. That's totally what I would do as well. And um, sometimes that weight shift, you just back the pelvis up. If we're prone to letting the pelvis just drift forward so that the center of mass, which is the pelvis, lands over the toes, that's a, a forward thrusted pelvis. It's not a tilt necessarily that we're talking about. It's just, it's moved forward in space. That is a situation where, yes, the femoral head is going to wobble forward. Now, what you're doing and describing is shifting your weight back so that the center of mass, your pelvis, lands more over your heel instead of over your toes. And sometimes that weight shift is all it takes to clear things up because now your pelvis has come into a different relationship with your femoral head and it's sitting differently in the socket. And then, you know, imagining that softness in your groin, kind of imagining sinking the head of your femur back will help as well. Yeah. And the cool thing is it feels really good. Now it's a little bit more work than just letting your pelvis thrust forward because when you let it thrust forward, you can kind of hang into your connective tissue and you can make the pose easier. It's easier, but it feels kind of off balance and feels kind of wonky Mm -hmm. versus when you bring yourself into this aligned place, when you bring yourself into the stacked place, it's harder, but it feels more spacious and more balanced. Yeah. Great. So that makes sense. It's like, to me, it feels more integrated. It's a little bit more effort, but it feels more stable. Yeah, because you're right. When you lean the pelvis forward, what you're leaning is your femoral heads lean forward and hang on your hip ligaments. That's they're running right into them. And so it's, it, you know, kind of gets our femoral head into a little bit of a habit of hanging out anterior in its socket. And now we're at more risk for pin- impingement. Yeah. Great. Is there anything else that you want to say about labrums and yoga practice? The thing that's just jumping into my mind is I've just treated like a number of yoga teachers, yoga people who get a triangle pose is particularly painful for their likely labral tear hip. And I just want to urge people to once again, hold on to the idea of accurate shape very loosely and allow your body to get into a pose differently so that it's more comfortable. Because when I've worked with people who've had that, it's really hard for them to let go of doing it in a certain way, especially if they're teachers, because now they get into that way of thinking, oh, no, if I can't do the pose correctly, then I shouldn't teach it. And this notion of correct way to do a pose just it doesn't make sense functionally. So because these are people, a few I'm thinking of, that have pain because they're doing the pose, quote, correctly. The way they were taught was correct. And now they have this hip situation. If they could do it differently, <laughs> then and when they do start doing it better, so let's go for that. That's what I would leave you with. Great. Love it. And let that also be a reminder. Intense sensation 
in your joints is not what we're going for in yoga asana. And especially if that feels like a pinchy sensation, that is not something that's going to be resolved with more practice. Yeah, that sharp, pinpointed, pinchy sensation that is not a sensation of stretch, of like muscle stretch. That's not what that feels like. Muscle stretch is broad. It's well distributed over a soft, squishy area. It's not at a joint and it's not pinpointed. Yeah. Well, Libby, thank you so much for sharing so many useful insights and even strategies for dealing with these common diagnoses that as yoga teachers that we're most likely to see show up in our yoga classes. Really have enjoyed the conversation. I feel like I have learned a lot from it. And I would love for listeners who feel excited about learning more of this kind of information about the human body that you can apply to your yoga classes to definitely check out Anatomy Bites. Yes, just go to anatomybites.com if you're interested. And we're having a great time over in Anatomy Bites land. So do join us. And I'm sure that this will not be the last anatomy episode that you and I do together. But if you're listening and you have a burning anatomy question that you want Libby to answer, go to teachingyoga.net. There is a button on the side of the website or I'm not sure exactly where it will show up just depending on the browser you use and things like that. But look for the record a question button and you can click that button and do a voice recording of a minute or less and ask us your question and it may pop up on the podcast. Cool. That'd be great. 